0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmersday, May 9th, 2022. On the show today, news, listener questions, plus I ride Guardians of the Galaxy, Cosmic Rewind, and then special guest star Christina Harrison tells us the latest on food in Walt Disney World. And in our main segment, Jim tells us about all the influence that the movie Honey, I Shrunk the Kids had on Disney theme parks. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that if he had a dollar for every time he didn't know what was going on, it would be like, what do I have all this money? It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Nance and I were literally just talking about
1: this exact same topic, that as a now (laughs) 63-year-old man, the only thing I am confident in these days is how little I actually know. I mean, I have these huge gaps in my knowledge when when it comes to, well, everything, but the upside is I'm actually comfortable with telling people, you know, I don't know about that, but not yet anyway. So the beauty of living in the information age is if you know where to look and you're willing to dig, you can actually learn about virtually. Anything and and I, my friend, have a black belt when it comes to Google.
0: <laughs> I don't I don't need to know it. I just need to know where to look. <laughs>
1: no, that's exactly. I mean, give me two yeah. hours and, and a topic, and I can come back yeah. with an informed opinion on on anything from how to change your motor oil to the the subtle nuances of Sumerian pottery. <laughs> So, you know, look, uh, seriously, Len, ignorance can be a virtue if you're willing to embrace the idea of not knowing about a topic means you now have something new to learn. And that's what I love about this
0: age. You can, you you can, it's down the Wikipedia rabbit hole, as the kids say, right? Oh, there you go. All right. And we have a special guest on the show today, Christina Harrison, the in-park Walt Disney World researcher for Touring Plans. Mm -hmm. Welcome back, Christina.
2: Hello. Thanks for having me
0: glad for you to be here. All right, folks, before we get started, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Linda C., Shannon Valley, and BKNY530. Jim, I think that's the bus I take to get into Manhattan. (laughs) Also, longtime subscribers, Jimmy Hunt, RP Dexter, and C. Stro8. Jim, these are the Disney Imagineers trying to explain to their finance folks that getting the papyrus-pounding animatronic in Spaceship Earth to print menus for the new Connections Cafe, while environmentally friendly, just won't scale. And anyway, the dude keeps sneaking Roasted Nile Crocodile with Lebni into the appetizers, which is not good. True oh, story.
1: Wow. I, again, <laughs> I learned so much on this show.
2: So. Wait, <laughs> Leonard, when was the last time you were on a public bus that was not Disney? Honestly, uh,
0: Ever? it's been in, it's been in the last five years. That's it's been in the last three years. Live. Oh no, public bus in the within the last year. Public bus. Yes,
2: you were on a public bus.
0: I was on a public bus. I'm going to yes. need a and,
2: photograph, or it didn't happen.
0: <laughs> and and uh, how it happened was, I was going back to Florida from New York, uh, and the Long Island Railroad was uh, not moving between Jamaica and JFK. So I, uh, but they provided bus service. Public bus, nonetheless.
2: Followers. Oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> <I> just wondered.
0: <laughs> and with that, we're going to move on to the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry free travel experience, every time, book online at StorybookDestinations.com. All right, Jim, Disney has released yet another set of concept art for Epcot's Future World redo. And I've posted that in the show notes. Among the changes since the last set of concept art, was released in 2019. Uh, Jim, it looks like the Festival Center is now a single-story building instead of three-plus stories. Things are tough all over, Jim.
1: This art just dropped in the last 24, so I have calls into the corporate events folks who had promised this venue to multiple Mm -hmm. convention groups that were coming to the park starting in 2024 So what sort of make good? Yeah, remember that island in the sky where you're going to be able to drink above the public and you'll look down at all the little people. It's like, well, you're going to be on the ground with them.
0: (laughs) The thing that, uh, so a couple of other things, Um, there's really not a lot of actual building going on here. There's the small festival stage Mm -hmm. that's over in the general area of where Club Cool used to be. Mm -hmm. But that's about it. I mean, and maybe that's a good thing, right?
1: Yeah, The folks who are operating Epcot are like, you're killing us. The center of this park has been torn up for, what, two plus years at this point? And yep. we constantly get complaints from guests about how they have to walk around everything to get over to World Showcase to buy their yep. seven dollar appetizers. So it's like, look, you have to get this open and
0: be done, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. And this is the quickest fix to that. But this is the quickest path to all of our future neighborhoods are open or world discovery, world, whatever.
0: Yeah. Here we are. We're done. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and so go, go, walk to the front, enjoy the show.
0: Chrissy, have you seen this uh, concept art?
2: I have. I've been looking at it all morning.
0: Okay, so let me ask you this question. If you needed a pictorial representation of what the meaning of the word "non-committal <laughs> was, is is that this picture, this concept art? It's like we we are not going to commit to anything permanent here. There is nothing in this concept art that couldn't be demolished overnight with a Home Depot bulldozer rental.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a good summary. You just uproot some trees.
0: Yeah. Like these trees could all be gone tomorrow and and we could restart. Or or it could be like this and people could say this is what we meant all along, yes, right?
2: That's true. There we go.
0: Jim, uh while you're asking your uh, Disney insiders for information about this, I'd mm-hmm. like to see if they would confirm or deny the fact that it's now called Communicor because they already had half the signs made. Mm. Could you check on that? <laughs> Also, Jim, if you wanna if you wanna really put them on a spot after mm-hmm. asking them about what they think about the Reedy Creek Improvement District, mm-hmm. if you could say, "Hey, why doesn't the artwork show the harmonious barges <laughs> in World Showcase Lagoon?" <laughs> Jim, I think this
1: isn't part <laughs> of the conversation when they start doing the la la la, not listening, la, 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 la. <laughs> going
0: through a tunnel. There <laughs> yeah, we go. You'd be like, "Dude, we're sitting. I'm sitting across from you at the picnic table. You're not going through a tunnel. I can see you right now." <laughs> what? <laughs> what? break it up that reception
2: <laughs> I didn't notice the lack of the autobots but you're right I'm looking at the art right there are no autobots does that mean they're going away I,
0: I think this I think this is what we call projection in, in no. the psychology world yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of lot there's a lot there's a lot unsaid in this artwork absolutely, is what i'm saying absolutely absolutely we're we're if you know if if this was <laughs> this is basically the equivalent of vermeer's a uh, girl with a pearl earring right you can read into this what you want because oh. there's a lot that's unsaid and oh, it's very much piece so. of concept very <laughs> yeah, yeah, much so. so all right jim in uh, in other news guardians of the galaxy cosmic rewind will use a virtual queue when it opens later this month And speaking of Guardians of the Galaxy, Jim, I got to ride it on Saturday. So um, they've been making this ride for five years, right? It it was uh, originally announced in 2017. Um, Mm -hmm. The premise of Guardians of the Galaxy is that it's Epcot's newest world showcase pavilion with a twist, right? The twist is that you're not visiting another country. You're visiting Mm -hmm. another planet. In this case, it's Xandar, right? So you start your interplanetary voyage. At the Guardians of the Galaxy building, your Epcot's front entrance. This is in uh, World Discovery, right? Am I getting that right? Uh World Discovery? World Discovery. By the way, the fact that uh, Epcot is laid out south to north means (laughs) that it was only last year when I figured out which one was future World East (laughs) and which one was future World West. And I think Disney did me a disservice by then changing the names of everything. Glenn, you can always leave the trail of breadcrumbs. It works so well <laughs> exactly. for hands-on <Hansel> Gretel. <laughs> I, you know, I was using the LEDs that were in the sidewalk, and then those are gone oh. too. Oh, well. there we go. All right. There we go. So, um, uh, so just for, from a uh, from an operational perspective, if you're mm-hmm. going into the building and you're using the standby queue, you're going to go to the left. If you're using Lightning Lane, you're going to go to the right. Obviously, the Lightning Lane is going to bypass a ton of the pre-show. None of the pre-show. Uh, that you're missing is relevant for the story. But if you do go through the, mm-hmm. um, I did I did uh, a couple rides on each side. Once you walk into the building, you're in the the main queue area, the standby line. In Jim, it, it looks a lot like test track or dinosaur. So imagine gently curving upward walkways, sort of like test track. Same sort mm-hmm. of like dark dark purplish bluish sort of schemes. In this case, you're walking past display items. Like you mm-hmm. do at Test Track or like at Dinosaur. Uh in mm-hmm. this case it's sort of like the history of Xandar, the people, and so on. And then farther along, it's you know, they introduce you to like you know the Guardians of the Galaxy characters. The queue is immense, Jim. Uh I, I would love to see what the Guardians of the Galaxy air conditioning bill is gonna be for that. <laughs> and you know, then there's some high-tech items in there, but but if for you and I to walk in, you know, it's mm-hmm. like This is Test Track. This is Dinosaur. And that's kind of the theme that I'm going to be coming back to for this. So my Mm -hmm. first ride through, I definitely had a different experience than the second ride through. And we'll talk about the second ride through after after we do the first, right? Um, Okay. So you go through the uh, the standby queue and because there was no one in front of us, uh, we had the initial preview slot. There were very few people ahead of us. Mm -hmm. We've managed to walk through the entire attraction. I will say that the ride mixes in different holding rooms from like straight queue areas. Kind of like, you know how like a dinosaur where you go through the queue and you go past the model display dinosaur and then you're in the little room with the uh, Felicia, Felicia Rashad video? Mm-hmm. There's a lot mm-hmm. of that where it's like queue, queue, queue. Okay, here's a room where something happens. More mm-hmm. queue, room that something happens. Eventually you end up in the last, the last room. And at this point, the actual purpose of the ride is revealed to you. So um, again, you're supposed to be going to Zandar on a tourist trip. You get to the last room, and this is the uh, this is the place where the the explanation of the ride comes to you. And in everyone who's been on a Disney ride in the last ten years will understand the trope that they're using here, and that is, and then something went wrong. There we go. In this mm-hmm. case, um, the person who delivers the news that something went wrong is Terry Crews. Really? Yeah. Not only is it Terry Crews, but after seeing Terry's performance here, I want Mm -hmm. Terry to break all the bad news to me. Like, (laughs) ship sinking in the Atlantic, Terry Crews needs to be on CNN. A giant asteroid hurtling towards Earth, I want the last voice that I want to hear is Terry Crews breaking that news to me. Like, Uh, I think that's exactly how how this should happen. Also, Terry's only two days older than me. I just noticed that. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Terry Crews. Phenomenal job of acting. And he's only there from the shoulders up. I don't know what it, uh, um, if it costs extra to get Mr. Cruise's entire body <laughs> in the shot. I don't know who negotiated that deal for him, but I would have liked to have seen you know full body Terry Cruz there. But again, that, they probably didn't have the budget for it. But anyway, Terry breaks the news to you that um, something's been stolen and we need to get it back. They, they, mm-hmm. He calls the Guardians of the Galaxy, and we then join the Guardians on this trip to recover said stolen item. So we walk down another hallway and then we're in the load area where you actually see the ride vehicles. And this is a fairly impressive area, Jim. If you're familiar with the entrance to Space Mountain in Disneyland, the actual ride setting there where you've got ride vehicles, I believe there's ride vehicles on both sides or you're like going down the middle. Mm -hmm. It's a setup like that. So it's uh, five cars, 20 people per car Mm -hmm. uh, loading two at a time. So just as a a quick side uh, note here. One of the people that was in my preview with me was a, uh, a friend named uh, Tommy Hawkins. Came over from the mm. UK. Tommy calculated based on our time on the ride and then the mm. cycle load time that uh, Guardians can hit like twenty five to twenty eight hundred riders an hour if everything's going right, and that's Ooh. that's impressive for a, for a modern Disney ride. That's Absolutely. that's Pirates of the Caribbean mm. level of things. So so very good there. Okay, so you get on the ride. And the ride begins. The ride itself is is a good three minutes long, which for roller coasters, Jim is is impressive. That is, yeah. The main new thing on this ride is mm. uh, well, there are two things, right? There's a backward launch sequence, um, mm. and then there's the ride vehicles themselves spin. Of the mm. two, the thing that's much more interesting is the fact that the ride vehicles can spin. The backward okay. launch, Jim. Mm-hmm. I, I'm telling you, if, if you go on that and if you've been on any other Disney ride, especially if you've mm-hmm. been on Expedition Everest, the backward mm-hmm. launch is literally Expedition Everest. It's the, it's the exact same sensation, the exact same feel. I think it's the exact same duration as well. Mm-hmm. It is the backward launch okay. from mm-hmm. Expedition Everest. But the thing that impressed me was in the first big showroom, Disney um, manages to tilt and rotate the ride vehicle so that it actually feels like you're in space. Like the first time through it, not going to lie, I said mm. wow out loud. It was that mm. it was that good. First impression of it, excellent. And then it's sort of like, you know, you're chasing things through the galaxy. There's some dialogue that's going on. It's very hard to hear over the music. I didn't get any of it. Okay. But there's some there's some good good ride right effects. Um for me, the mm. right sensation was a cross between space Mountain and rock and roller coaster, like with with spinning seats, so imagine that in terms of intensity and okay. turning so there's no upside down loops there's no inversions right It's a standard disney thrill ride in, in that respect. There are some tight turns, there are more visuals than in uh either space mountain or in rock and roller coaster, but not so many that you're distracted like you know there are screens that show videos and stuff like that but a lot of it goes by so fast that you don't really notice it it's sort of it's not even secondary to the ride itself it's sort of like a tertiary thing i'd say the the ride experience itself is is the primary thing you're going to focus on the second mm-hmm. thing you're going to notice is the background music in the times i rode we got um iran by flock of seagulls uh september by um Earth, Wind, and fire and Blondie's one way or another mm-hmm. all right um, so that's the thing you'll notice, and then the third thing you'll notice is the the stuff that's going on in the screens. There's the again, there's the uh, background audio for whatever the guardians are saying as they're mm-hmm. chasing this thing through the. Through the gas. I didn't I didn't get any of it. It's just it's too loud to to hear all of it. Um, but the ride is fairly long. I, I think from start to stop, like not counting you know the parts where you actually coast in to the mm-hmm. to the actual exit area, it's around two minutes and forty five seconds. Which again, for a roller coaster, is a long time. That was good. Very long. You you get out. There's a a shop. wasn't open for previews, so I didn't get to see any Mm -hmm. of the treasures of Xandar that might be Mm -hmm. available. Um, And then you walk out and you're back near Mission Space. Mm. So my second ride through... And that was good. So a couple of of things, too. Um, The ride definitely made me queasy. Not in Mm -hmm. a um, Star Tours way. Like, if I ride Star Tours, that's the last thing I'm doing for that day. Or if I'm Mm -hmm. going on Mission Space uh, Orange... That's the last thing I'm doing for that day. And I'm going to need like a Coke and to sit down Mm -hmm. when I'm done to sort of like get myself Mm -hmm. back together. This wasn't that bad. It was like, like when I get off of Everest sometimes, or when I get off of like teacups and I'm feeling a little Mm -hmm. bit woozy, but I can do something else afterwards, it was sort of like Mm -hmm. that. And I spoke to a few people who had the exact same experience, like in a family of four, one person Mm -hmm. was fine. Two people Mm -hmm. were like, yeah, I need to sit down and maybe, you know, maybe relax for a minute. And one person Mm -hmm. was like, I'm done for the day. I'm going home. So that is something to watch. Um, The second time through, though, Jim, Mm -hmm. is when I started to figure out, like, what does this remind me of? So I mentioned Mm -hmm. that the first part of the building Mm -hmm. reminded me of Test Track and Dinosaur. Mm -hmm. And as you go through the ride, you can definitely see, like, okay, they got this part from this ride. So do you want to hear the spoiler parts? Sure. Sure. All right. Um, so I mentioned the test track dinosaur mm-hmm. thing. There's a point where um, Terry Crews is mm-hmm. telling you you need to do something to transport yourself to Xandar. And mm-hmm. the spiel is, uh, Jim, everyone needs to move to the center of the room. Don't touch the walls. Mm-hmm. Right. What does that sound like to you?
1: The uh, Oh, man. Where the, why am I remembering this? Damn it. It's uh, it's is this room
0: actually stretching?
1: Oh, there we go, yeah, there we go, haunted mansion. So, okay, so, yeah,
0: you know, walking through, I'm like, okay, this is the stretching mm-hmm. room, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a gimmick in that room that is directly from fra- Flight of Passage, the load areas from Space Mountain, the backward launches from Expedition Everest, the ride through is from Rock and Roller Coaster. You, you and I, Jim, will go through and say, this is where this idea came from, this is where that idea came from. So it's sort of like a casserole. Of um, yeah. different <laughs> different ride ideas. <laughs> Welcome to Monday evening. You know, just <laughs> exactly.
1: like a, Everything we had over the weekend. But Jason, when you were at Disney and you, you're spending how much on this ride? You know, you and I have both heard numbers well north of three at this point. Yeah, yeah it's a and lot of money. What you just mentioned you know, about Mr. Hawkins determining the hourly capacity. You know, when you want something to deliver those sorts of numbers and you lean into what you know or what's tried and true, Because you you want to deliver those sorts of numbers. But yeah, I'm a little disappointed that maybe some of this is that familiar that you can walk through God
0: and treat it like, you know, like, well, I got that baseball card and I got that baseball card. I mean, it's funny because walking in and again, I'm a I'm for stuff like this, I my default mode is Mm -hmm. is cynicism, which is Mm -hmm. horrible and I try and work around it, right? But you know, I walked in thinking that the plot was gonna be and then something went wrong. And mm-hmm. then my, my only question was, how are they going to handle it from there? The thing that they steal from Haunted Mansion and the thing that they steal from Flood of Passage, no lie, first time through, I was like, mm-hmm. okay, that's a cool effect. And the reason why I mentioned it is it was great once. The second time mm-hmm. was like, okay, I've seen this, you know, I've seen this three other parks. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. need to see this again. And then and, and that's my concern, right? Would I wait four hours or three hours for the, or even two hours for this ride mm-hmm. knowing that? And I think the answer is no. It's a it's a good ride. It's something that Epcot needs. Epcot needs the capacity. Um, Oh, absolutely. Especially, yeah. Especially. So I did. I didn't mention the fact that between my first ride and the second ride, the ride was down for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) So at one point in the day, the ride Mm -hmm. had actually been down more than it had been up, and we stayed in the queue because everyone else had Mm -hmm. left, and we were right Mm -hmm. at the last boarding area. If we were, you know, farther back, or if I was like, you know, an hour away from that, I would have. I would have given up. Yeah, so that's the uh, that's all right. I mean in terms of like coaster experience, mm-hmm. Have you been on Velocicoaster? Not yet. I'm hoping this trip to finally get on it. Okay. I think I think Velocicoaster is the best coaster in Central Florida. Guardians of the Galaxy is is not in the same class as that. It's just not a it's not the same type of coaster experience in the way that Universal has mastered the physics and the ride experience in Guardians is is not there yet. This is standard Disney ride experience with nothing Nothing new. Nothing smoother. No, like let's change the way we think about ride experiences on coasters. This is, you know, if you're familiar with Expedition Everest, if you're familiar with Rock and Roller Coaster, it's it's the same right there. Um, so okay. no new advances in in technology there. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what I expected. Mm-hmm. You know, from the ride, I wasn't like blown away. There was nothing there where I was other than the couple of things where you know the first time through were. I thought, okay, this this scene is particularly well done. Where I said, wow. You know, the mm-hmm. second time through, I'm like, yeah, I got this. And I didn't need to ride it the third time. I wrote it just the third time just to make sure I could get the music. Um, mm-hmm. But let me contrast that with like Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railway, where, where I will ride that every single time I'm in the park because mm-hmm. I think it's funny. There's always new stuff to see. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's a really well-done attraction. And that is not, by the way, Jim, a $350 million ride.
1: No, it is not. All
0: right. So it's, it's fine for what it is. I have, mm-hmm. as we already know strong objections to putting this in Epcot. I think it should have been the Mm. studios, but for teens, teens will love it. Mm. If they like Guardians of the galaxy, they'll love it. I will say this. I think it's going to, Disney's already said it's going to open with boarding groups, right? Yeah. not thrilled with that. Yeah. And I think based on the downtime that we saw today, I understand why they're starting it with boarding groups. Mm -hmm. But again, the internal numbers that we've seen around downtime Mm -hmm. indicate that it's already more (laughs) reliable than virtually every other thrill ride in Epcot. So I would expect that to last maybe four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. Top's, you know, if they okay. get that under, if it goes longer than four to six weeks, Jim, mm-hmm. then we're in a situation where the ride mechanisms are simply not reliable, and that in that case, we'll be in a Rise of the Resistance or Remy's Ratatouille Adventure scenario where something went wrong in the design or the translation of the design from manufacturer to Disney, and it's just not as reliable as they had thought. We'll see. The um, my big concern is the spinning of the ride vehicles adds another layer of complexity the ride like you because it turns, you probably can't launch a ride vehicle if it's not in the correct position, mm-hmm. which means that, the, that that is one more thing to go wrong and I think that might that might hurt um, reliability a little bit. so we'll see. but I think you know overall decent addition, if I was going to give it uh, a stars on a scale from one to five, it would probably say between four and four and a half if it wasn't mm-hmm. in the middle of future world, like if this mm-hmm. was at the studios, I'd say four and a half. I'm going to knock it down half a star because absolutely does not belong at Epcot. Absolutely does not belong in future world. The whole, Mm -hmm. the whole story about it being a world showcase pavilion, that's just gaslighting by Disney and they know Mm it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'll give it four stars. Okay. Yeah. I think everyone should do it. If you're, um, if you can't get a boarding group, you should try and get a board group. If you can't get a boarding group, individual lightning is the way to go. Once boarding groups Mm -hmm. are done, you're going to have to get there first thing in the morning because it's going to be super crowded. I will say the queue is almost entirely indoors. Like mm-hmm. it, it should all be indoors. If the line is out the door, the wait's probably six hours, and you shouldn't go on it at that point. Um, but you should, you know, indoors. I, I haven't seen the merch or anything like that. When you come out, mm-hmm. you'll be right next to Mission Space. So if you want to, if you want to try your luck there, going from one dizzying mm-hmm. spinning ride to another dizzy spinning ride. Oh, Jim, we mm-hmm. should do that. <laughs> Jim, we should drink <laughs> and then go on those two rides together just to see what happens. And by <laughs> see what happens, I mean how long until we get thrown out for throwing up on security guards.
1: Before we close out here, (laughs) I I have to admit, I'm going to be fascinated once we get on the other side of boarding uh, groups and that sort of thing. When you put on your Turing plans hat here about, do you think this one's going to change the center of gravity for for Epcot? I think it will, simply
0: because um, uh, of two things. One, Mm -hmm. uh, the last thrill ride that was built in Epcot was Mission Space, which is now literally a generation ago, right? Okay. It's Mm -hmm. 18 years, right? Almost. Yep. And... The fact of, that, they, that they put it so close to the entrance, and more importantly, mm-hmm. on the opposite side of the park of Remy's Ratatouille Adventure, means that teens and adults without kids uh, are going to go there first. Okay. Going to be t- t- fascinating to see what that,
1: that means to the rest of the park.
0: Yeah. And that's the other big thing. Like, which ride's wait times are going to be impacted the most by this? My, my sense is it's going to mm-hmm. be mission space. Uh, excellent point point. and then maybe test track after that we'll say
1: thank you for literally running out of
0: the park <laughs> to do this tonight so uh, yeah shout out to uh <laughs> to christina who uh, was also there also uh i met uh steve from wdwmagic.com it, oh did you i've been on that site for 20 some years i've never met steve met him today
1: oh that's, cool. that's yeah,
0: cool thanks to Tommy for coming out also um thanks to new friends that we invited so palomi and Shruti. Uh, we're there and also covering it uh, as well. So I had super fun uh, meeting everyone. It was great. I hope to do it all again real soon. Cool, cool. All right, Jim, let's get back to the show with a quick listener question from Sean. Mm-hmm. All right. Sean asks, Jim, have you heard when Magic Band Plus is going to roll out? And Jim, I'm putting this in because apparently it rolled out temporarily last weekend. Oh, it did. Yes.
1: In <laughs> you know, the fact, that it was very interesting to watch the Disney company say, to to, hi, could you bring those back?
0: So just for our listeners who aren't up on this particular story, Disney released too early Magic Band Pluses for sale. And by too early, we mean the infrastructure is not in place to do all of the functional things that the Magic Band is supposed to do, yet Disney had somehow found them in a stock room and decided to sell them.
1: When you go back behind the scenes at Target, they literally have things on boxes to the effect, do not open this before Tuesday. We can't yeah. put this on the shelf. and the not, notes the- not for
0: sale until December 1st. No,
1: whatever. and that's the idea that the Magic Band Plus, it's like literally the bar, I'll put them out. You know, oh, come on, yeah. we've got an <laughs> empty shelf.
0: Go ahead, who's going to care? <laughs> and it made the news uh, pretty much instantly. Christy, did you get a chance to see them?
2: I, no, I haven't seen them yet. I've seen them online and I, I have to say I'm not um, jazzed.
0: There's there's functionality that hasn't been described yet that is supposed to be coming. We'll see. I do think it's interesting, Jim, the uh, the feedback that we're hearing from guests, which was like, oh, we're going to add these um, these features to the app so, you, uh, so we don't need to give you free magic bands a- anymore. And then, oh, here's a bunch of stuff that you can do in the parks, but now you need to buy the magic bands. Yeah. And while we're at it, let me just say, have you not been watching the Disney Corporation for the last 30 years? Because this is this is what they do. I
1: get that, but it's just gotten so naked and obvious lately. You know, it's just sort of like, hey, do, do you have any extra money?
0: Yeah. And then uh, Sean's other question. Have we heard anything about Hoopty Doo Review? Uh, Chrissy, you have some information on this, right?
2: Yep. I was just at Fort Wilderness. You put us up at a luxurious cabin. Um, <laughs> Hoopty Doo, tickets go back on sale. June 23rd. No, June 23rd is the first show back. Sorry about that. Reservations available May 26th. All
0: right, Sean. So you got a couple of, a couple of weeks to get ready for that.
2: Yeah. I'm so happy to hear this is coming back.
0: I'm excited. All right, cool. All right. And then uh, Chrissy, you have some news on food around Walt Disney world. Why don't we uh, talk about that?
2: Yeah. So um, somebody, our, Oh, our friend, Adrian, who suggested, the blaze, the gluten-friendly blaze pizza. Ah, oh, um, right. Yes, yeah, yes. Right, right? Okay. So we had a, a whole bunch. Wait, of, hold on.
0: Sorry, pause here. Um, uh, since you are of Italian heritage and are about to talk about gluten-free pizza, do you need to do the sign of the cross before you actually start well, talking no. about this?
2: I I temper the lack of gluten with the gluten-filled to show the difference and also to not upset my constitution yeah okay you know the weird thing i have felt better since i have been trying all this gluten-friendly food like
1: really
2: for real for real for real (laughs) there may be something to this folks okay you
0: know of the (laughs) of of the four of us of of the four of us children you're not the one that i would have thought would have been adopted (laughs) right we all said it was mike right so no
2: yeah but we've had the genetic testing you're you're locked in there's no getting out um Start it. All
0: right. okay.
2: well, <laughs> well, there goes that idea. All right. Okay. <laughs> too late. It's too far too late. I've done several places. So I've done quick service and I've done some table service. And wherever I go, I make sure I'm getting at least one gluten-friendly option. Okay. Okay. So I did order um, on my own because, you know, science, uh, the gluten tester. So I will be nerding out over that. Wait, to the, see. like
0: a, a test tube
2: type thing? No, it's like this little thingy like that you can carry with you so that you can test the gluten in food real time. Like to see how much gluten it actually has? With, yeah. People with celiac can't have any. We actually have one of our agents has a new gluten, like a very bad gluten allergy. She has celiac disease, cannot have any gluten.
1: Wow.
2: So yeah. So things that are gluten friendly, um, it implies that there is probably you know still some gluten. So I did order that. I will be digging into that in the next couple of weeks. But I've had some really great experiences, and then some. There was only one that I would consider a fail. I'll just give you the quick highlights. All right,
0: give me the uh, give me where, where's uh, what's really good for gluten free or gluten friendly?
2: Ronto's Ronto Roasters in the studios. Now, obviously, Ronto Wrap is like one of the best foods ever, and their overnight oats are spectacular. Overnight, however, oats. okay. Just amazing! It has star fruit, it has boba, mm. the sugar ones, not the tapioca, okay. and it has berries, like whatever seasonal. Is filling. It is delicious. It is reasonably priced. It's gorgeous, wonderful, and then of course the ronto comes without the wrap. Still lovely.
0: Yeah. What
2: I love about ronto is a few things. But when you order on the mobile app, then of course you know you go up to the side. They had my gluten-friendly Ronto in a box. Oh. It was on a separate tray away from everything else. Okay? So wouldn't the uh, no company.
0: cross-contamination. Oh.
2: Okay, but it was like next-level no cross-contamination. A separate – when I got up there and I said – they said, you know, your order's ready, and I went up to the counter and told them my number. Mm-hmm. A separate chef in a totally different color jacket came out, did not allow any of the other cast members because they had been handling all of the right. – regular Ronto wraps, this chef is the one that handed me my tray. He got me my drink.
0: Oh, it's like a clean room.
2: Oh, it was as close as you can get in Disney. Holy cow. My my oats were completely off to the side because, you know, they have that little prep station. Ronto's busy. Mm -hmm. And they have all of the Ronto wraps stacked up, and they have all of the oats and stuff stacked up. Mine was, um, even though all of the oats are gluten-friendly, had mine separate, had the little stick in it. Plus it had a sticker on it and the sticker was marked. So I asked about it and they, when they package it just to make sure like it's double checked back in the kitchen at Ronto's at least this is the only place I saw the sticker. They double check and confirm, okay, this is the gluten friendly. And then they check off the little sticker inside the box.
0: Ah, Okay. Okay.
2: Oh my gosh. It was this whole other process
0: so there's a couple of surprising things there. Um, number one, this is like a tiny counter service place in the
2: Very back yeah. part
0: of, of Hollywood studios. But for them to go through that much yep. effort for that is really, is really something. It really says something about Disney's commitment to it. But the other thing that's the other thing that I would say is not surprising is Ronto Rosa is actually one of the highest rated, um, counter service restaurants in the park. So they must be doing something. Right. It's awesome. Yeah. They do good stuff there. Yeah.
2: It has. And every time I see it now, I think of Jim because of the little dude. Not that he looks like Jim, but I know you guys (laughs) talked about it. The little guy sitting there roasting the whatever it is. I always stand there because it's really funny. Backdrop. Anyway, excellent, amazing food. That was the highlight. Um, Obviously, I love the food. The other highlight. Uh, just for taste alone. It also was handled very well. Okay. Was it Woody's lunchbox? What'd you have? The barbecue brisket. It is so good.
0: That is a great sandwich. It has Mm. cheese. Yeah.
2: And the gluten-friendly bread is wonderful. And that's what do they do for
0: gluten-friendly bread?
2: It's just different. It's usually a little chewier. It's usually much more dense, like at Topolino's. It's a lot heavier. It's not as fluffy.
0: Okay, but does it go well with the – because the beef is sort of very rich. So, you, I mean, that might be okay. Oh my God.
2: It's amazing. It's my favorite. Now, I did have – so, I did try some other places. I went to Artist Point, Storybook Dining, Artist Point, okay. so that we could see the um, character interactions. The character interactions are probably the best – Artist point at character dining. Yeah. yep. Yeah, I will. I will. I will sign off on that. Definitely the best. Would you like about it? The queen is the whole show. Like <laughs> he just is like, she is so magnificent and frightening and PS don't call her the quicked ween. Like I did. You the know, quicked ween. You know. yeah. You know, quick and ween, you know. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. right. Just the poses. I'll send you the poses that Gigi and our mother did. Like, she's the queen. She's the queen. You have to be summoned to her.
0: Oh, really? If you,
2: oh, if you call her the evil queen, she will give you the cape swirl, you know, and be off. Like, she will dismiss you. You are done, and you will not be allowed to <laughs> take a picture, I don't think. Really? <laughs> she's. That is cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, 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 we, we've said it before on the show, but be, but being uh, one of the villains is probably the most fun job.
1: Oh, absolutely, so, right.
2: Yeah, sharp witted. She was on it. Now the food is expensive and not great, but that's fine. That was not that was not the worst gluten friendly experience, which is what we're talking about today. Okay. The only bad experience I had because they they were wonderful with serving it. They made sure. Because it is family style, the appetizers Mm -hmm. and the dessert, right? Mm -hmm. And then you order your entree, very expensive, $60 a person, beautifully presented. The gluten-friendly stuff, again, separate server. They were very clear on making sure like you don't even share butter.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Oh, yeah, again, cross-contamination. Okay, fair.
2: Yes. Same with Hollywood and Vine. Hollywood and Vine has done a very good job. They've expanded the just the bread basket. Like you don't realize those things. Like yeah, they all, don't all the little things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same with um, Liberty Tree. Liberty Tree is probably the best table service for gluten friendly that I've had so far. How
0: do they do stuffing at uh, Liberty Tree if you're gluten free?
2: It was there was stuffing. It was very good and really? the macaroni and cheese. I'll say it. Come for me if you want to. Macaroni and cheese, gluten friendly, is better than the regular. Wow!
0: Mm. All right.
2: Yeah, hands down. Okay, the one that was not cool, that was not good, was Satuli Canteen. Really? Again,
0: one of the highest rated places in Walt Disney World. Yeah.
2: Come for me. Wow. Um, Okay. The I got a gluten friendly beef and chicken. Okay. And we had, I hadn't been in an extremely long time, so for you that's like a week. (laughs) <laughs> well it was like a year so oh, like okay. for that's, me that's a really it's like, I'm time. Time. Yeah. yeah yeah so i got several things right so there were three trays and the gluten-friendly tray was white Okay, but nobody told me this is the gluten-friendly thing there were no sticks there were no stickers um. it was all handled by the same cast member hmm. i had to ask like where's the gluten-friendly stuff but oh, so true. it wasn't.
0: Uh, so not only was it identi- wasn't it identified in writing, but you couldn't identify it by sight.
2: I mean, I assumed. Yeah, but you don't want to. If you have like a for real, for real allergy? Yeah, I'm yeah, just. you going to
0: you're not going to make assumptions. So you're you're going to want to know.
1: I gotta say that's counterintuitive. I'm thinking about it. Pandora, the world of Avatar, opened in May of 2017. If there's going to mm-hmm. be a restaurant on property that's going to be set up to handle gluten-free items, something built recently. Look at what yeah. we were just talking that would about, work, their, yeah. you know, Rontos
2: Roasters. Well, and you're right, Jim, and their kitchen is huge, mm-hmm. like huge compared. Yeah. So that was – maybe I caught them in an off day. I wonder like, if this
0: is a training issue not a kitchen issue.
2: Ooh, uh... Ew. That's interesting because literally everywhere I went was a, a teeny bit different.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
2: But that was the only one that was lax. Literally everywhere else has been –
0: I'll tell you what, let's, uh, let's, let's go, let's go sometime over the next week. And we'll do the exact same thing again. You and me and let's, uh, let's see what happens.
2: Okay. Final note. And nobody wants to hear this pizza Rizzo, which is, I mean, solid, wonderful. I understand. <laughs> no notes. Like <laughs> I also, no notes. Also don't care. Fantastic job. Their gluten friendly pizza is bigger. So to me, it's like a better value, but I love it Also, it doesn't matter. And they is did, it, is they it thick, did a really thicker,
0: thinner? Like how is it?
2: It's thinner. Oh. Also, at like um, Pinocchio's Village House, which you should shouldn't go to anyway for any reason, mm-hmm. but if you have to and your child is insisting, then the gluten friendly is bigger than the standard.
0: Oh, okay, that's also good to know. And then, uh, Chrissy, you've not mentioned uh, one gluten free option that you and I both shared a couple weeks ago, which was the tomahawk steak <laughs> at California Grill. A was it thirty five ounce, hundred and fifty five dollar steak. And Christy bought I this. mean
2: those them's just numbers. That yeah, those mean, are just yeah, what is what even is yeah. money?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This with Jim, yeah. this uh, first of all, it's it is a it's spectacle on mm-hmm. a plate, right? Mm-hmm. It is you know, like at the beginning of the Flintstones when they're in the drive thru oh, yes! and the waitress brings out mm-hmm. like a rack of ribs that's taller than this was that, mm-hmm. right? This is yeah. this is this was one of those. You know, coming. it's more expensive. It fed Jim four people. It was one of the most delicious steaks I've ever had. At the end of it, Mm -hmm. Chrissy and I were both taking bread Mm -hmm. and dabbing it in the rendered fat from the tomahawk or the juices from the tomahawk steak that was on the cutting board that they brought. And of course, we took photos of the giant tomahawk rib itself outside because the things.
1: Ask about that because it hit you were there with the 50th anniversary frame on the roof of the contemporary. And it's one of these things where like, this is a thing. This is something they actually do. I mean, they like, let you do it. Not, it only, not only, good, only that, good, Jim. Not Jim yeah.
0: Not, not only that, but we, as we were carrying mm. this rib mm. through the contemporary, because you got to go, <laughs> we were in the opposite end of the dining room. Yeah. Had to walk through the dining room, through the wine hall, past the elevators. There was a wedding reception going on in the back room. And some of the people for the wedding reception were sort of milling about in the hallway and their first question was, "What is that and where do I get one?" Yep. And I'm sorry like, about
2: your hors d'oeuvres, David. <laughs> yeah, exa-
0: yeah, exactly. Enjoy your pâté, Steve. Mazel <laughs> yeah. tov, Sarah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well,
2: we have to we have to give some credit because uh my food soulmate, Bethany Vinton, mm-hmm. And I were together on St. Patrick's Day and we decided to go and revisit the 50th Mm -hmm. menu um, at the Contemporary, which I had like mentally written off. I know Len has said the same thing and which is why I forced him to come after I went and Bethany and I ordered the Tomahawk and our server was. Delighted, Like, I think they enjoy it almost as much as you do. Like, they, you can hear them around you trying to convince other people. They're like, no, you really have to see it. It is it is an event. Like, yes, just ordering thing. this. It's an event for the kitchen. You're going to love it. It's delicious. You will have leftovers, which we did, and I took home, and I ate. But Bethany had the idea, and that was St. Patrick's Day, and, you know, maybe we'd been drinking since 9 a.m., whatever, whatever, to go and we had to commemorate this wonderful steak and she grabbed the little frame and yeah, which and you can, you can pick
0: up. It's, it's, it's sitting Jim on an easel. Oh,
2: you're allowed to. Right you're by the door. to. Yeah, you're supposed to. Yeah. yeah. Does, does,
0: does that picture frame Jim now have a uh, handprints made from uh beef juice and rendered well, so fat? Who
2: doesn't? Uh, who doesn't? Okay.
0: It's all part of the ambiance that there is the Walt Disney World 50th anniversary celebration.
1: You guys are killing me. I mean, again, I, I, you, <laughs> it was, Jim, it was a
0: great steak. It was it was a really good, perfectly cooked too. I mean, again, for 150 dollars you 155 dollars you expect perfection. Absolutely, this absolutely was this was really good. But, yeah, but really you good
1: know that because of Nancy being a snuggletarian, the only way <laughs> I get pork or beef is I have to convince Nancy that this pig or this cow has committed a capital crime. So before I can get in on some tomahawk action, I need a black anxious cow holding up a, a major bank.
0: This cow. No, everyone hated him. No, it was just, <laughs> cow was, this was just a jerk. Oh, yeah.
2: He didn't tip. Well, got,
0: like he was got what was coming to him. And then some, exactly.
2: A, puppy, a whole thing. Right.
0: Exactly. Then
2: if we have to sneak you. Okay. Look, you can rope drop. The bar. We don't need a reservation. This way, she won't look at your MDE and know what you're up to. Yeah, exactly. That you're sneaking we around. Send her, we sent her to the, the, the spa, but doing like
0: a late afternoon thing. Okay.
2: Yeah. Oh, we have a podcast to record. I'm meeting Len and Chrissy. Let's. We'll rope drop the bar. We'll get the steak. Yeah. Go out. Have the photo shoot, and then it's too late. Yeah. To and we'll go. back
0: you up, Jim. We'll be like, Oh no, no, he wasn't going to eat the steak, but then my f- I had a fork accident <laughs> and it slipped into his <laughs> yes. mouth there we go 12 times yeah we got it we'll, it's a we plan options, jim. We just so
1: long as she doesn't Action. actually listen to this podcast we're in the clear <laughs> <laughs> jim your secret is safe with
2: us <laughs> they don't I, and I even put it on instagram and i was like the podcast that the wives definitely don't listen to and laurel's like no i haven't i don't know yeah i didn't listen to that <laughs> see okay
0: <laughs> We're safe. It's
2: fine.
0: (laughs) Jim, the uh Jim, if you want to keep secrets from your wife, just say them here. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. There we go. All right, folks. We're gonna take a quick commercial break when we come back. Jim explains how the movie Honey I Shrunk the Kids influenced so much inside the Disney theme parks. We'll be right back. Today's show is brought
1: to you by BetterHelp. You know what's ironic? A lot of us out there will drop everything to go help someone we care about. I mean, we'll go way out of our way to treat other people well. But how often do we give ourselves that same sort of treatment? Seriously, we all want to be there for friends and family. But but let's be honest here. You can't help those folks if you yourself aren't feeling mentally healthy. That's why BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you that you matter just as much as everyone else does. And if you feel the need for some self-care, well, BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. More to the point, BetterHelp is much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. So why not give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy? As I mentioned a moment ago, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, which is why Disney Dish listeners will get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com disneydish Disney Dish. Again, that's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot disneydish Disney Dish.
0: All right, Jim, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids at the Disney theme parks. Now, I know about the movie, mm-hmm. right, starring the incomparable Rick Moranis.
1: Yep, yep. And in fact, everybody crossed their fingers because Shrunk, the Josh Gad project, which is going to... Uh, Rick Moranis has agreed to come back and play Wayne Zelensky again. Now, mind you, this project gets stalled out by COVID, as so many things did, but supposedly getting back in gear and you know, will make its appearance on, on Disney+. But again, that brings up the topic of Disney sequels. And in the past week or so, what with the Johnny Depp-Amber Heard trial, there's been all this talk about Pirates of the Caribbean 6, the $22 million deal for Johnny to come back and be Captain Jack Sparrow again that got derailed when Amber put a lot of their private business out in public, which brings to mind this whole thing about Disney and sequels. People talk about Disney, oh, they make too many sequels these days, and Walt would never do that. And that's a lie. I mean Disney studios should make a lot of money, Len, of making a very specific type of gimmick comedy, one that involves some sort of a scientific breakthrough or an invention of a brand new technology that then was the jumping off point for all sorts of hijinks. Disney discovered this niche back in uh, March of 1961 with the release of The Absent Matter Professor. Was Was that Flubber? Well, that's the thing. That was the thing that was invented for that film. Movie did so well that in less than two years, Disney had a sequel in theaters, which Son of Flubber. And so Walt sees these two films back to back He's like, okay, we need more of those. And he puts his creative team to work, find me more science-based gimmick comedies. So February of 64, we get Misadventures of Merlin Jones. And then August of 65, we get a sequel to that, uh, The Monkey's Uncle. These aren't things that Disney are tossing off casually. I mean, all of the films I've, I've described were directed by Robert Stevenson, the very same guy who directed Mary Poppins, the biggest hit that the studio had in the 60s. Likewise, the two Flubber movies were written by Bill Walsh and Don DeGrady, same guys who did the screenplay for Poppins. So again, this is the A-team working on these things.
0: Imagine how bad Son of Flubber would have been if they didn't have the A-team working on it?
1: Uh, I mean, it is a gimmick comedy. Okay. And that's the thing. As long as you embrace that, it's very mechanical. It works. Now, mind you, Walt's death in December of 66... Puts a pause on the studio's production of these science-based gimmick comedies, but starting in December of 69, with the release of the Computer War Tennis Shoes, Disney gets back into this particular business line in a big way. We get Million Dollar Duck in June of 71, now you see him, now you don't, in July of 72, Strongest Man in the World in February 75, and Star Wars Arrival in May of 77, makes Disney temporarily pivot from making these science-based gimmick comedies to trying their hand at really-for-real science fiction. Oh, And yes, okay. these two very expensive films, 1979's Black Hole and 1982's right. Tron, visually impressive but seriously lack story-wise. And as a direct result, when they came out of, box office's appointments. And now right. this project Len, I am so excited to talk about with you because I know this this is like the Len Testa wheelhouse. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so it's March of 1984, and Ron Miller, who's in charge of Walt Disney Predictions at the time, is looking at all the money that raunchy teen comedies like Animal House and Porky's are making, and they've just right. started Touchstone uh, Films at Disney Studios, which which
0: released its own
1: uh, adult fantasy comedy, Splash, in March of that same year. So Ron, is- all right, let me, let me
0: just say that Porky's and Splash are not the same genre.
1: They are not. But
0: you got to remember, Disney's got to walk before it can run. Right. And- Animal House and, and Animal House is a cl- is a classic American film, right? Disney actually made
1: a, a movie that it tried to be Animal House. I want to say it got released. It went out to like three theaters. Uh, I think sure. it's called Up All Night, but it actually has Stephen first you may remember as you know one of the two pledges to Animal House <laughs> as the star I mean it, it, you know and it, it's also it's Pee Wee Herman's film debut I mean it's about a scavenger hunt ar- across all of Los Angeles that take place in one night and again it's Disney trying to make a raunchy teen comedy and, and again it's Disney right. you know their idea of raunchy is oh I said boop
0: <laughs> I stayed out past curfew there you go yeah. So, yeah so this was a period from like what 77, 78 yeah, right to, 84. to 84. Yeah. yeah. Because Stripes was Stripes was 1981 and I consider that the pinnacle of uh, would, American cinematography. Uh, I'm not, not Army kidding. training. You know, it's like would they send us someplace special? <laughs> By the way, right, anyway. having actually <laughs> served
1: in the US military it's it's a documentary. <laughs> there, it's there, a we documentary. Go, there we go. So, so all right. So anyway, here we are. We have Ron Miller who's looking to revisit Disney's history of making these science-based gimmick comedies only with a, a slight raunchy edge. So okay. Ron Greenlights, a production of My Science Project, which has this really clever premise. It starts off in 47 with the, the UFO crash at Roswell, New Mexico. And, and President okay. Eisenhower orders that the debris that the, the site be packed up and put where no one can find it. So... We jump to 1985, where high school senior Michael Harden needs something impressive to showcase his school science fair, or he will fail the class and not graduate with his class from high school. So desperate for something, anything to showcase, Michael breaks into an Air Force boneyard, which which it is strongly insinuated, Len, is at Area 51. And okay. you know he comes across this weird glowing orb, which he runs off with. Once, once a guard comes around the corner, and so Michael then hooks this thing up to a car battery and offers it as you guessed it, my science project. The only problem is that when when Heartland fires up this weird glowing orb, it then promptly rips a hole in space and time, which is how a T Rex ends up in the gymnasium.
0: Yeah, this is uh, this is different than a uh, a uh, vinegar and baking soda volcano. Uh, spilling over a little bit, right?
1: There we go. But the, the reason the reason you have to watch this movie is it features Dennis Hopper. He is actually the science teacher who sets this whole thing in motion. And there's a moment when he gets sucked into the orb. And at the end of
0: the film, when he returns, he's in the exact same outfit. You're, you're teasing. I know what you're going to say, and you're teasing me if you if you don't say it. Go ahead.
1: Easy Rider. He's crazy Thank
0: you. Okay. <laughs> and he's like, hey man. Okay, that's kind of brilliant. Who was who producing this? Who was the director? Uh, John Butel. Ah, oh, beautiful touch.
1: Did get some of the timeline stuff wrong? Roswell happened in July of 47. Eisenhower didn't become the 34th president until January 53. But look, the whole point of this film is screwing with the space time continuum, so why quibble over a what? plot point? <sighs>
0: Yeah, uh, you know Eisenhower. I think was still Supreme Allied Commander. Okay, there we go. You know, so maybe maybe it didn't go all the way up to the mm-hmm. to the president. But okay, Eisenhower was Eisenhower wasn't a nobody. There right? we go. Okay, there, there we go. go.
1: Okay, okay. so anyway, unfortunately, my science project doesn't get the release it deserves. By the time it's finishing principal photography. Ron is no longer the head of the Disney Company. Michael Eisner is. And, uh, and Michael Eisner honestly doesn't know what to do with my science project. I mean, he, he's been in charge of Paramount Pictures. In fact, he had done comedies like Meatballs, or for that matter, uh, Cheech and Chong's Up and Smoke and its sequel, Still Smoking. And it, it's one of these things. So he knew what a raunchy teen comedy was, and... This thing that Disney had made was a Campbell. I mean, it was too raunchy or edgy uh, to go out under the Disney banner, but it was clearly nothing that would connect with teen audiences. And so Eisner's choice at that point was, okay, we do reshoots or we send this thing out as is. Uh-huh. And Eisner's like, I got bigger problems. Yeah. I'm not going to throw good money after bad. And so it's it's sent out into theaters as is in August of 85 underperforms at the box office. But Eisner, when he comes on the job in, in September of 84, he's doing his due diligence, and he digs deep down into Disney's books, and he, he's looking for previous films to do sequels to. And that's what he did over at Paramount. If, if they had a hit picture, like Saturday Night Live in December of 77, or Grease in July of 78, he immediately ordered a sequel develop, which is how he got Grease 2 in June of 82 and Staying Alive in July of 83. And did, well, yeah, I didn't say they were good sequels. I yeah. just said they, they were. were sequels. They, they were yes. sequels. All right. So, anyway, Michael goes going through the books and notices that uh, Disney has this history of producing science based gimmick comedies. And so it's like Eisner puts out the word to hate. Hey, I might like what to make one of those, but for the modern movie going audience. And sure. this is the early 1980s, and ET came out in June of 82. That now became the gold standard. For family friendly films. So Eisner puts out the word look, you know, I want a science based gimmick comedy, but if it, if it has a soup song of ET, you know, hey. A hint? A hint,
0: <laughs> a hint, a hint, a, a hint of ET plagiarism? Yeah, you know, I, know, to, I, I, I yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. complain. But not like an animal. There <laughs> <laughs> <You know, laughs> you know, we go. You know, you're you're going you're gonna to do it tastefully.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> so this is when Flight of the Navigator, which, by the way, was directed by, by Randall Kleiser, who previously directed the original Grease for Michael when he was back at Paramount. The problem with Flight of the Navigator is it tries to be two things at the same time, a science-based gimmick comedy as well as a heartfelt, sincere science fiction adventure. So it wound up being a hard project to promote properly. how are you selling it? Well, that's it exactly. Disney's marketing department didn't really know how to put this out there before it's released in August of 86. That said, Buena Vista Home Entertainment, uh, by the time Flight of the Navigator is being sent out into store shelves in January 8th of seven, they know exactly how to promote this Randall Kleiser film, and it, it it becomes a big solid seller to home video enthusiasts. So that convinces Michael that he's on the right track. There is actually an- really so so hold on mm-hmm. for a
0: second so how does it do at the box office?
1: I want to say it costs nine million dollars to make. It makes eighteen million dollars. On the other hand, when it goes to VHS, it sells millions of copies. How? You know, you gotta remember, this is the age of the video store.
0: Oh, right. Okay. So you didn't have that many options back in the 80s. Okay. You Uh, know, it was literally
1: about do you have a piece of box art cover that will catch people's attention? and you know oh, they, they okay. just put the kid on the cover flying a saucer you know flying saucer and every kid in america was like i want that mom all right fair but now michael is convinced that there is actually a market out there for an updated version of these old science-based gimmick comedies in fact he's okay. so convinced that when the wonderful world of disney weekly television series re- revived for the 1988-1989 television season on nbc michael orders that is part of this anthology series that Disney create an absent-minded professor TV show. Only this time around, it's Harry Anderson, who's fresh off of his hit NBC show, Night Court. Oh.
0: Yeah, he's
1: playing the Fred McMurray role.
0: That's funny you mentioned uh, Night Court because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Laurel and I are going through re-watching The Love Boat in mm-hmm. chronological order. Mm-hmm. And Marky Post has just made her debut in has season she really? six. really?
2: Um, yeah. And we're trying to
0: figure out, like, what else did Marky Post do besides this and Night Court?
2: She did 30 Rock.
0: <laughs> okay. But besides that, (laughs) they they did the night court
1: reunion on that one, right? I mean, she was like the the second or third stab at the female lead on on that show. And she was the one that took, but anyway, at the same time, we got uh, Michael looking for a theatrical science-based comedy. And it's at this point, Len, that the script for a film called teeny weenies lands on his desk. Now, next week, we're going to talk about how Disney gets into the honey business. More importantly, how Wayne Zelensky then becomes a theme park star. But before we finish up talking about uh, Flight and Navigator, it's important to note here that it was Paul Rubin's vocal performance as the alien intelligence that powered that craft in the Randall Kleiser movie that convinced the Imagineers he'd be the perfect guy to voice Rex, the pilot of our Star Speeder in the original version of Star Tours, which, again, became a very important movie as far as uh, theme park fans are concerned.
0: Okay, so so Michael Eisner seeing teen comedies mm-hmm. eventually leads us to getting Paul Rubens voicing a character in Star Tours. It is. It's a strange world, Lynn. <laughs> this really is butterfly wings. There uh, we flapping. go. There we go. It, yeah. This is it. Thank you, Ray Bradbury.
1: Um, One other note, though. As far back as 2009, Walt Disney Studios has been talking about either remaking Flight of the Navigator or creating a belated sequel. But in September of last year, it was announced that Bryce Dallas Howard, the Jurassic World star who has actually done an amazing job of directing individual episodes of The Mandalorian and the Book of World Effect, She's been tapped to direct a remake of this Randall Kleiser film, which will now be built around a preteen female's adventures across space and time, and will debut on Disney Plus in late 2023, early 2024.
0: Ah, Jim, that's fantastic. So that's good to hear. So, uh, so everything uh, old is new again, is what I'm hearing.
1: Oh God, yes. Well, again, we we started by talking about how Shrunk is bringing back the Honey I Shrunk franchise, and again, please get that back in front of the camera soon. Just you know, really want to see Josh Gad as Wayne Zielinski's son getting back in the family business of accidentally shrinking people. So <laughs>
0: that's going to be hysterical, and I, I can't think of anyone else I would rather cast for that than Josh Gad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's be great. I'm looking forward to that. All right, okay. so we're going to talk more about this on the next show. We are, we are fantastic. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. Uh, please head on over to DisneyDish.bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. Thanks to Christina for coming on. Uh, Christy, where can
2: people find you? Um. At my house, or <laughs> don't come to my house. Um, I'm in the parks. What five, six days a week, and I'm just the minion on our Instagram.
0: So at Touring Plans on Instagram, on Twitter, on all the social medias, and you are what at Crispy Lemons, Crispy TP.
2: My email is Christina at Touring Plans, and I, you know, I don't really. I just I just Twitter for us. I don't really. There you go. It's, it's,
0: you're, you're, uh, you're, uh, you're, you're subjugating the self for the, for the good of the whole.
2: A full-time minion. That's,
0: awesome. That's fantastic. You can also find more of Jim at jimmyhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be demonstrating his late Muromachi period saddle engraving designs and techniques as part of a new exhibit titled Master Leather Carving from North America and Japan, Design and Cultural Influences. On Friday, May 20th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Brinton Museum on Brinton Road in beautiful downtown Bighorn, Wyoming. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Genesis Len, we will see you on the next show.